For countless Christians around the world, come our long-expected Jesus signals the beginning of Advent. It was first published in 1744 by Charles Wesley, and it was written as response to what he saw as the miraculous, prophetic fulfillment of Jesus, as well as a statement of faith in the Second Coming. It was inspired in part by 17th-century French philosopher Blaise Pascal's God-shaped vacuum concept, in that it expresses the longing for the infinite that only the Messiah can fulfill, and gives us a glimpse of the hope of his second coming when he comes to make all things new. Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus is one of the more international and interdenominational hymns of the day, as it was written by Methodist Charles Wesley, included in Germany's Festival of Hymns by John Lamp, who also wrote in Wales and Ireland, was included in great American hymns in the 18th century, and finally gained further recognition in England in the 19th century as it was used by Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. Today, across the world and across denominational lines, we join our voices in the hope of the one who sets his people free, releases us from sin and fear, and is our strength and consolation. We begin this Advent season in the hope of he who was and is and is to come, Jesus. Well, hey, Heritage, how you doing? <clears throat> doing good? Hey, I want to just welcome everybody across our network, Bettendorf campus. I am so glad that you are a part of our family. Men of Kiwani, we love you. People who are checking us out online, thanks for taking a little bit of your time to join us. And of course, Awesome people here at Rock Island campus. Welcome. Thanks for leaning in. So glad to see all of you. Just in case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh Howard. I get to serve as the assistant campus pastor here at the Rock Island campus. I've had the honor of serving on staff here at Heritage for three and a half years. And I try to say this every time I get a chance to share, but I love the women and men that I get to serve with on this team. Just a great group of people, extremely talented, extremely dedicated, committed to sharing God and, and, and just kind of leading us uh, together and, and doing some really great work in the community. I just love this team. And so it's a privilege to be a part of it. I, I also hope that all of you had a really great Thanksgiving celebration with your family. I hope that, you know, the, the conversation around the table was life-giving. I hope the right football teams won for you. I, I think that happened for the most part. You know, I, I hope that it was just a joyous celebration. I want you to know um, my son, 13-year-old son, <clears throat> he had been preparing for Thanksgiving for probably about three weeks. I, I think it was November 5th that he walked into the living room and interacted with my wife and I by basically just announcing, hey, I'm hungry, when's Thanksgiving? <clears throat> and, and my wife kind of looked at him weird like, okay, dude, you, you know that Thanksgiving's not till like three weeks away. Are you not going to eat anything until then? Or what's going on here? And his response, very quick like he is, was something to the effect of, well, I need to prepare mentally for this because I plan on eating a ton. So I need to just get my stomach ready and just need to get ready for this. And so we kind of had a laugh about that, but I was really curious to see what a ton looked like for him because if he likes something, his stomach is a vortex right now and, uh, and just he inhales food. And so we get to the, the Thanksgiving meal and we get around the table and all around the table, everybody around the table has, you know, plates piled with food except for Aaron, 
who has nothing on his plate. And he realizes that he doesn't like anything that is offered at a traditional Thanksgiving meal. Doesn't like the turkey, doesn't like the stuffing, doesn't like mashed potatoes for the most part. It has to be just right. It wasn't. Uh, we didn't like the gravy, doesn't like stuffing. You know, all, all of the stuff that's traditionally doesn't like it. So we're kind of thinking, what did you think Thanksgiving was? You know, what, what is going on here? Um, but I want you to know, I wanted to honor his preparation, right? I, I, I really, I felt bad for him. I honored his preparation by eating enough turkey for both him and I, okay? I did that. It was a sacrifice, but I stepped in and I took care of business. But I, I don't know how you prepare for Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know, you know, what kind of fallout you're dealing with by eating that much food on one day. I, I don't know where that lands for you, but I hope that you had a really great Thanksgiving celebration. And I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving tends to be, for me, the last hurdle before I really allow myself to emotionally begin to prepare for Christmas. And it's like that in churches as well. In fact, a long time ago in a land far, far away, some really smart people put together a time rhythm that is kind of attached to the story of Jesus. And I love this stuff. It's, we call it the liturgical calendar. There's all the other names for it. But I love this stuff. And so I kind of, I've brought an image today that kind of helps express kind of what I'm talking about here because there's different seasons attached to certain parts of the story of Jesus and uh, this has been really helpful to me and so you know you have over here you have Advent which is the season that we're stepping into right now we'll talk about uh, that a little bit later but the key word here is anticipation where we are uh, anticipating uh, the, the coming of Jesus the first time around but also we are in our own season of Advent as, as Christians, and so we're anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And so we're, we're kind of doing a dual type of waiting at Advent. Then that leads us to Christmas, 12 days, starts December 25th, goes to January 5th, and this season is intensely focused on the birth of Jesus Christ. The key word here is incarnation, which literally means enfleshment, the, the, the time when the second person of the Trinity allowed himself to be wrapped up in human flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's a special, special season. But then we get to Epiphany, which is, I think, a little bit less known. The day of Epiphany lands right after the 12 days of Christmas, January 6th. And traditionally, the day of Epiphany looks at the story of the Magi coming and bringing three gifts to a, a young Jesus. And, and this season, the, the word, kind of the key word is revelation, because it really centers its attention on you know, the, the revelation of the light of the world, how the story of Jesus began to travel out into the world, and also the recognition that the Magi were not Jewish, and so this story of Jesus is not just for, for the, the Jewish people, it's also for Gentiles, it's for the whole world, and Epiphany helps us lean in to that. And so I, I love this, and then you get into Lent, you get into Easter, you get into Pentecost, you, you kind of keep the story of Jesus going, and you get to lean into this each and every year. And this has really been helpful to me in, in my own devotional journey. And, and so today is a big, big day because it is the first Sunday of Advent. And so if you're kind of tracking along, we're like right here, we're getting ready to, to lean in. And at the same time, we're, we're launching a brand new teaching series today called Unspeakable Joy. And I'm so excited to, uh, to see what God's going to do in this teaching series. It's a series really that is designed to take us from Advent 
to Christmas and then just even touch a little bit into Epiphany, a, a full journey of six weeks where we're together looking at the same things and each weekend we're going to come and, and talk through some things, but then we have this great devotional journey. If you haven't picked one up, be sure to do so. We have hard copies for a suggested donation of $5 in, in the Next Steps areas in the lobby, but you can also download this for free. And we're just excited to have everybody reading the same scriptures and looking at the same prayers and thoughts and, and just journeying together through this, uh, through this, uh, this series. And, and each week we're going to be reflecting upon the reasons for our unspeakable joy through the gift of Jesus to this world. And we want to do that through a different sort of lens. We, we want to examine it through different postures and practices of sound and voice and what this all means for us. So there's going to be some spoken elements each weekend around the lighting of the Advent candle. There's going to be uh, origin stories of some of the, the more powerful and popular Advent and Christmas hymns, like Come Now, Long Expected Jesus, like the one we just saw today. Because music, if we're going to talk about the sounds of the season, music is a powerful part of that. But we're also going to be focusing in on a key word each week to help us understand the different ways that we can lean in uh, deeper and deeper into the story of Jesus. And so for today's purposes, I want us to sort of begin to think about the word here, H-E-A-R. And, and I want us to begin to interact with this concept as something a little bit more than just one of our five senses, but, but to examine today what it might look like for us to hear from God. Now, if you're tracking in your note guide, this is kind of the time where you fill in the first blank, and, and uh, we have to start here, and we have to say that God is always speaking. God is always speaking. He's always communicating. He's doing this in a variety of ways, but, but it is, he's always communicating, always calling us into more, always inviting us into his story through his voice. Uh, he, we, we are ushered into his story. And I want us to just stop and consider the power of God's word. Through his voice, everything that is seen and unseen in all of creation was brought into existence from nothing. Think about this. Uh, the author of, well, John, the, the author of the Gospel of John, he wrote this really beautiful prologue. And the very first verse of this gospel says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And then a little bit later in this passage, John makes it clear that Jesus is the word and, and the word became flesh and made his home among us. And I would argue that God has never spoken a clearer message to us than that of the life words, actions, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the word made flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And then later on in this grand story, we are given insight into the reality that Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, was sent to earth and now indwells and empowers each of us who are believers to, to move into mission, but also speaks to us constantly, reminding us of all truth. God is always speaking. God is always attempting to communicate to us. His words are always powerful. And so the question that we have to interact with today is how do we enhance our spiritual hearing? What needs to happen in our lives for us to hear exactly what God is wanting to communicate to us? And maybe even the question that should be asked is why is it important in the first place for us to hear 
and then respond to God. And so the first step, I think, today is to look at a really great example of of good spiritual hearing and a a really great example of why it's important to to hear and then obey God. And it's going to be a very traditional passage of Scripture for Advent, Christmas. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you don't have the scriptures, it's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. Uh, but, But let me read this over us just to set the stage for this story of spiritual hearing. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, every single year during the Christmas season, we probably hear some kind of combination of this reading along with, you know, passages from Luke 2 being read over us. We it kind of offered to us for consideration and reflection. And, and I kind of want us to understand Luke's account really tends to follow Mary's emotional journey a little bit more closely. So we get a song that's that's uh, proclaimed by her, and we kind of get her side of the story. But here in the Matthew account, we tend to get a little bit more of Joseph's lean and and a little bit of what the situation was for him and and what he had to go through. Now, quite honestly, there's not a lot that we know about Joseph. Uh, He's mentioned in the birth narratives, but he's only mentioned one other time in the Gospels, and that's when Jesus was about 12 years old. All we really know about him is that he was a carpenter, and other than that, We don't have a lot to go on, but friends, I think we have enough in this passage to go on to show us that Joseph was thrown into the middle of an impossible situation. The passage tells us that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, or it's a fancy word for engaged. And when we, through modern ears, we think of engagement, we tend to think of you know, diamond rings and getting down on one knee and flowers and romance and, and that sort of thing. But that's not really how it was back then. Betrothal was actually a legally binding contract for marriage that typically lasted a year before the marriage took or the wedding took place. And it could only be ended in divorce. So right now when you think about engagement, you know, if an engagement breaks off, there's certainly there's emotional pain involved in that, but there's no legal implications. There were legal implications in this moment with with Joseph and Mary. Now, one other thing to to note here is that sex wasn't allowed between the betrothed during the engagement, and it certainly wasn't allowed outside of the agreement. That would have been considered adultery, again, grounds for divorce. 
And it's in the middle of this culture and this context that Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. Now, listen, we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, right? We know who Jesus grew up to be, the Messiah, that he lived a, a beautiful, perfect life, that he, his life was full of miracle and, and great teaching and sacrificial death and, and a victorious resurrection. We know all of that. We have those pieces of the story. But, but friends, Joseph didn't know any of that information up front. When he first hears the news of Mary's pregnancy, all he knows is that he wasn't involved. Can you imagine how it must have felt for him to to receive that news, for him to to really lean into the reality of that situation, that, that Mary's pregnant, he's not responsible. At that point, really, the only logical conclusion in his brain is that she snuck off with another guy, that she was rejecting him for someone more desirable. So all of this is running through his brain, and it must have been so much to take in, the confusion and chaos of a future that he thought he understood but now had been turned upside down. And so he begins to make preparations for a quiet divorce. And then on a fateful night, Joseph goes to sleep like he did every other night, only this time God speaks. And in this case, God speaks to him through an angel in a dream, and Joseph hears. We know he hears because when you read the rest of the story, he does, he obeys word for word what the angel of the Lord told him to do. He was faithful to what he was called to. But friends, we need to understand that even once he had the dream, it didn't take the tension out of the situation, it might have just actually built it for Joseph. It wasn't an easy instruction. See, listen, if he marries this girl, it's a virtual admission to the surrounding community that he is responsible for her pregnancy. Now, he knows better, she knows better, but the people around them don't know. Word would spread about Joseph, that his integrity could be challenged, that his reputation could be damaged. And in the midst of that pressure, cultural pressure around him, he obeyed. And his obedience is linked to his ability to hear the instruction and story that God shares with him. He heard and then he obeyed. And I think even more impressive is the reality that he heard from God, but he heard from God in the midst of great tension and noise and chaos in the midst of of this confusing situation that would have created a ton of internal angst and stress, that Joseph heard God even with competing voices warring for his attention. So I'm thankful for the story of Joseph, of of someone who heard from God and stepped uh, stepped into obedience, stepped into faithfulness, And to see that because of this faithfulness, because of this obedience, Joseph was actually invited into a story that God was at that point shaping that was going to change the trajectory of human history. And friends, I would contend that like Joseph, we all need to hear from the Lord, that hearing from him actually leads us into ways of living lives full of love and hope and purpose, that God is constantly 
continuously inviting us to join in with his story. And it's a really powerful thing to understand the, the reality of the, the, that we live in the age of Holy Spirit where, where the Spirit is, is residing in us and we actually don't have to wait for a, a one-off download dream to hear from the Lord. We have access to God now every single day. All we need to do is just get into a good position to hear. And so I want us to begin to untangle some, hopefully some things that are helpful in, in helping us get into a good position to hear from the Lord. And to do that, I want to turn our attention to a very short but sweet stanza or lyric from a psalm, Psalm 4610. And, and because it's short and sweet, I'm actually going to invite all of us in and, and let's read this together. Bettendorf, get in on this. Kawani, get in on this. And let's read this together. You ready? Here we go. Be still and know that I am God. Let's do that again. Ready? Be still and know that I am and God. There is something really powerful and important about this idea of stillness that is deeply connected to our ability to hear the voice of God, to, to be able to understand the truth that God is wanting us to lean into, to, to even begin to recognize his heart and his character and his movement. And I think it's because stillness slows us down and it's the slowing down that actually begins to improve our ability to hear. But stillness, I've found in my own life and I've observed in our culture, is a deep, deep challenge for so many of us. And I, I am not talking at you now. I am talking with you. Stillness is deeply difficult for me because we live in an action-based culture. We we, some of us are, you know, I, I am, I'm a to-do list person, and so I want to just get that list checked off. We, we live in a fast-paced society. We live in a, a, we live in a time where, where technology is constantly clamoring for our attention, buzzing to get us to focus on it. I was actually reading a book recently on focusing on work, and, and the author talked about a study that had just recently uh, been finalized and, and uh, publicated and, and the, the studies showed like when you're kind of working on a project and maybe you're, you know, typing something at a laptop or you're creating something or you're, you're just doing something that you need focus for and your phone buzzes or you get a text or a call or whatever, just you turning your attention to the phone temporarily decreases your IQ by 10%. Just, just that one, and it, what he's saying is like, it decreases our ability to then get back into the original project, and it takes longer, and, and so all these distractions hurt. And, uh, you know, I, my wife can attest to this. I am guilty. I, I probably am worse than 10%, honestly, because we'll be in the middle of a conversation. My phone will buzz. I'll look down. I'll look back up. I'll realize that she said three or four sentences. I didn't hear any of those, and so I act like I did, and she knows me well enough to know. And so the, the thought that I had when I read this is, what happens then if you're working on something and you get a text and you start to respond to the text and you get another text? Like, how dumb can I get, right? How, how far can this go? But it reminds me of just how much can distract us from really hearing and being still and listening for the voice of God in our lives. And so I want to try to suggest a few stillness ideas for us and, I, and, and hopefully something here is usable and will land for you. The first thing I would suggest is that we need to embrace silence, that we need to embrace 
silence. Now, I want to be honest here. I have found silence to be extraordinarily difficult in my life. I am addicted to noise, I have found. As I've kind of done an audit in my own my own life, I, I just, I think that, that I just, I have to have something going on. I get into the car, which might be a good, quiet moment for me, and the first thing I do is I turn on a podcast, right? Or I turn on the radio or music. At, at night, I can't go to sleep if it's completely quiet, so I have to have some sort of white noise going on, some kind of like a fan or something running in the background. Even in my prayer time, I've noticed as I have done this audit that I don't build in times of silence, that often I'm the one saying the things, and because I don't want to lose focus, I'm saying the things out loud, and there's just very little time where I'm building in that, that time of silence to really listen from the Lord. And sometimes I wonder if silence is so difficult for me because I am afraid of what I'm going to find when I just sit and listen and, and reflect upon who I am and, and what God is leading me into. That may, maybe, maybe the noise is a cover for the brokenness that is inside of me. Maybe it's a, a coping mechanism that I, I sort of can just ignore uh, th- those things inside of me. If I just keep doing that next thing, if I keep checking off the next thing on the list, if I keep plugging away, maybe those internal things will just go away. Maybe I can just ignore it. But it, it not, it's not true. And I'm finding that it's in those spaces of silence that I am finally more receptive to what God might be saying to me and what he might be leading me into, the healing that I need from him, that if I can just clear out the noise, if I can just clear out the distraction, if I can clear out those, those other voices that are always constantly competing for my attention, if I can fight for stillness and silence, I believe that God is able to do some really important things in my life. But it really does start with me uh, creating space, carving out space to just sit silently and listen and hear. By the way, I, I highly recommend, uh, we've already talked about it, but I highly recommend the devotional this week. The, the, the listing, there's a, a practice section, and there's probably a list of uh, 10 ideas that are directly connected to silence and stillness and, uh, and solitude. And some of these ideas are golden. And I would just really recommend that you read through them. And I would even le- love to hear your story of, of how they work and what God does in your life as you lean into those things. But, but be sure to check out that section this week because I think it's going to be really, really valuable and helpful. The second thing uh, in terms of like a stillness idea is I would encourage you to start, with, uh, start from a place of being rather than a place of doing. Start from a place of being rather than a place of doing. I've heard Pastor Sean uh, say a statement recently a couple of times that that we are human beings, we are not human doings. And and many of us, we default to doing. It it just, I I see it in my own life. I think it's, it's a bit harder to to hear what God is saying to us when we are in a whirlwind of constantly striving, constantly performing, constantly earning. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a a pastor's conference, and the speaker was, he said something that, that I, it still, it, it will, will actually move me deeply when I, when I think back to the statement. I've never forgotten it. And he was, he was what, basically what he said was, Pastor, remember that God loves you more than your ministry. 
that God loves you more than your ministry. And I remember hearing the statement, it actually brought tears to my eyes immediately because I was in a season of ministry where, where I felt like a failure. I felt like everything I was trying to do it was not working and, and that I, I maybe had somehow lost God's anointing and, and that I, I was defining my own value based upon how successful I was as a pastor. And, and so I go to this conference and I hear this statement and in the midst of it, I realized I needed to be reminded that I am more than the sum of my ministry successes and failures. And friends, the same thing can be said of you. Regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of, of what titles or hats or roles that you live into, God loves you more than how you perform. God loves you more than how you perform as a husband or wife. God loves you more than how you perform as a parent. God loves you more than how you perform in whatever you do for a living. God loves you more. And that our value and our definition are centered on the reality that God has handcrafted each one of us, that he has redeemed us into his family, and he's called us to become daughters and sons of the living God. God decides our worth and value, not the sum of our successes and failures. And so that's where starting from a place of being is so important because being chained to a place of doing is this vicious and unending cycle. Now listen, that's not to say that what we do is not important. Please don't hear me say that. But we have to start from a place of being and then allow God to shape how we engage our doing. That is the healthy rhythm. There is an order to this. It reminds me of that great short story about Mary and Martha in the Gospels where Martha is scurrying around preparing the house. Jesus is a guest and she wants everything to look just right and be just right. And here's Mary just sitting next to Jesus, conversing with him, talking with him, absorbing whatever she can from him. And, and Mary is identified as the one who puts herself in a better position to hear from God that day. She chose being rather than doing, and, and it helped position her to hear everything that Jesus wanted to say to her that day. And I think the same could be said of us. If we start from a place of being, we'll be able to hear everything that God has for us in, in a much clearer, in a more profound way. And then finally, I would just recommend and encourage us to lean into Advent to really lean into this Advent season. Now, you might have already felt this, but <clears throat> the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is insane, right? Can I get an amen on that? Like, it is, it is nuts. It is busy, and, and it just ramps up. There's so much expectation. There's parties and programs and decorating and cooking and worrying about getting to the, the next Star Wars movie and rapping and drinking an eggnog shake and watching the right Christmas movies, listening to the right songs, whatever traditions you have. There's just this season of, of so much busyness. And it was probably about eight years ago that someone recommended a book on kind of the, the church rhythm, the time rhythm that we were talking about earlier, the liturgical calendar. And, and specifically, I dug into Advent and began to understand uh, one of the central themes of Advent is that of waiting. Now, it's a forward-leaning wait. It's an act of waiting, but, but it's waiting nonetheless. And it sort of helps me not just rush to the side of the manger so quickly, but, but it, it helps me to understand that there's value in allowing 
myself to sit in the dark waiting for the hope of the light that is to come in the same way that ancient Israel had to sit in the dark and wait for the Messiah to come. There is value in sitting in that not yet space. This helps, again, just to help slow me down in a season that is always asking for more. And it helps me to be still and know that he is God. So I think in this season, we should pay attention to scripture passages like the Old Testament prophecies who are foretelling the coming of the Messiah. But for those prophets to remember, they had to sit in that tension of waiting for the Messiah. And sometimes they had to wait in in times of exile, in times of uncertainty, in times of confusion, in times of loneliness. I think there's value in reflecting on those readings of the scripture. Let's pay attention to the songs that are found in early Luke, songs before we actually read about the birth of Jesus, songs from Zechariah and Mary and Simeon, songs that are expected and hopeful, but you can just feel the longing and the waiting and the hoping dripping off of those lyrics. Let's sing songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or the song we looked at today, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, these songs that help us stay in a posture of waiting and longing and hoping. See, for me, Advent has been helpful in slowing my soul down in the midst of a season that just tends to be so crazy busy. And I feel like I am able to hear from God in a clearer and deeper way when I'm able to really lean in to that theme of waiting. It's been an antidote for me, actually. It's been an antidote against the sickness of hurry and the sickness of busy. And it's been extremely beneficial to me. And so my challenge to you is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in your own Advent practices and rhythms, for for Holy Spirit to help usher you into a posture of waiting, which then helps position you to hear better what the Lord is wanting to say to you. Now, friends, we are entering into a season that is so wondrous and so special and so mysterious. In a few weeks, we're going to be able to gather uh, across the, our network and, and celebrate the birth of Jesus. But, but friends, we have this amazing opportunity in the, the weeks leading up to it to really press pause and sit in a space of waiting and to reflect upon the hope that we have, the light that is going to come into the world and to just reflect and sit at the feet of Jesus and hear from him. And so let's take time to posture ourselves, to hear from the Lord, like Joseph, to hear and obey, maybe even in the midst of confusion and silence, uh, maybe even in the midst of chaos. Some of you might really identify with the story of Joseph because you're sitting in a place needing and desperately longing for a word from God, but you're feeling that confusion and that frustration. But, but listen, I want to encourage you to just lean forward and lean into stillness, lean into silence, lean into that act of waiting because God is always speaking. He is always communicating. He is always calling you to more love and hope and purpose. And for that, friends, I am so, so thankful. And for that reason, I want to do the very best that I can to sit at his feet and try to listen to everything that he has for me. And I would encourage you to do the same this season. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your great love 
and your mercy. I thank you for your story. I thank you for the pieces of your story that are so impactful and powerful for us to step into time after time, year after year. And I just pray, God, that as we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas, as we step into Advent, that you would help us lean into stillness, to lean into these practices that would help us hear from you. And that God, like Joseph, when we hear that we would begin to obey and that we would be faithful to that which you are calling us to. God, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. And we just give great thanks and praise. We love you, but we're so thankful that you loved us first. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.